Let's pray, please. Heavenly Father, be with us now as we open up the words of eternal life, and we pray that you would bless us and help us to understand what you have said in your word to us. May we receive this truth with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11 is our scripture reading and sermon text for this morning. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, looking at the fourth commandment. And I'm going to be preaching on on this this morning and this evening, and there probably will be one more too uh, next Sunday. So Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, this is God's word. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Dr. Joseph Piper, uh, in a book on the Sabbath called The Sabbath Four Views, wrote this, quote, From the time of the Reformation until the mid-20th century. So for 400 years, the great majority of Protestant Christians held fairly strict views regarding the use of of Sunday. Most in practice would have fallen into the category that this book calls the Christian Sabbath view. With the encroachments of liberalism, the rise of what's called dispensationalism, and the ubiquitous, that means everywhere, presence of television, this practice has so declined that today only a small minority of Christians in the West hold to this position. Who is correct? Does the Bible require Christians to observe one day in seven, or are all days equal? Is Sunday the required day, or may the church select any day she chooses? End quote. This morning we're going to walk through just the fourth commandment itself. I always tell people, when all else fails, just go look at the commandment itself. Go look at the text itself. Okay, there's dozens of books on the Sabbath day, and there's a lot of great stuff on it. But what we're going to do is just go phrase by phrase through the wording of the commandment itself and gather as much as we possibly can from it. Now, I've given you an outline there in your bulletin if you want to follow along uh, that way. Point number one, I've called, remember the ancient divine example. Remember the ancient divine example. Look at the opening phrase of verse 8 of Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day. So just stop there. Remember the Sabbath day. This was not a new concept for God's people. When they were given this commandment, none of them thought, Sabbath day, what does that mean? Never heard of this. This is a brand new idea. They were being told to remember this is what they've been practicing for centuries. The Sabbath day as a day of no work, a day of resting and worshiping God, that had already been in place from Adam all the way up to this very moment at Mount Sinai where Moses was getting the Ten Commandments. This is implied in the word Remember, what he's saying is remember the ancient divine example. The divine example. Consider with me. Please, consider with me. When well-intended people make this kind of statement, 
I will not believe anything that is not explicitly commanded in Scripture. You know people like that? People had been keeping the Sabbath day from the days of Adam all the way up to this very moment at Mount Sinai where Moses gets the Ten Commandments and there are no commandments anywhere to do so. None in the Bible. Now you have an example. You have the divine example of creation week. God worked six days and rested on the seventh. And you see the Sabbath day being observed and kept and the seven day week, you see it all the way through the Old Testament all the way up to this point. Just consider a few of these examples, please. Genesis 4 verse 3. So it came about at the end of days that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. So when did they come to worship? At the end of the days, at the end of the week. Genesis 7 verse 10. It came about after the seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth. Man continued to follow the seven-day week that was marked by the Sabbath or the seventh day over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. That was the pattern that they followed because that's what their creator had done during creation week. They followed the divine example. There is no commandment to do this in the Old Testament prior to Exodus 20. But the people of God did it anyway. In fact, the whole world did it anyway. Genesis chapter 8, Noah on the ark. So he waited another seven days, and he again sent out the dove from the ark. The dove came to him toward evening, and behold, in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the water was abated from the earth. Then he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove and so forth. Noah on the ark is still keeping track of days in groups of seven. Seven days at a time. Still following the divine example after the Exodus event itself prior to Exodus 20, where they get the Ten Commandments and stone from God, people are still keeping the, the Sabbath day and still following the pattern of creation week. Even the distribution of manna in the wilderness followed the seventh day work week. God even promised to provide for them twice as much manna on the sixth day so they didn't need to go out and gather any on the seventh day. And remember, God has not made a commandment about this yet. He has not commanded them to keep the Sabbath day holy yet. But humanity still knew to do it. Why? Divine example. You follow the divine example. Exodus 16, verse 12, 22. This is still no, no commandment yet. Now on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread and two omers for each one. And God told them, I'm going to give you twice as much on the sixth day so you don't have to go out and gather any on the seventh. So it's already in place. The six days, one day of rest. Six days, one day of rest. It's already in place, and there's no divine commandment. That's one reason the word remember is used. Remember is there not only as a deterrent to discarding or neglecting or forgetting the Sabbath. Remember is there as an encouragement to them not to forget what their ancestors had already been practicing for centuries. But why were they already practicing it for centuries? Folks, you need to write down these two words if you're a note taker. Because I know, I know some of you have Seventh-day Sabbatarian friends. Okay, and I know at least five of us have tried to witness to one downtown in Kingsport. Another Seventh-day Sabbatarian. Okay, someone who thinks the Sabbath day is still Saturday. Here's the, here's the reason that we don't believe in that. Quote, divine example, end quote. Divine example. The whole world kept the Sabbath day without a command following the divine example. Why do we gather to worship on the Lord's Day? Divine example. And people will say, I don't do anything unless there's a direct command to do it. And my question is, why did the entire earth keep the Sabbath day with no divine command? Because of divine example. That's brought out in Exodus 20, verse 11. You see verse 11 there in your Bible? 
For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Mankind followed the divine example of creation week. Working six days, resting on the seventh, from the time of Adam until Moses, without a single divine command to them to do it. There is no command given by God to mankind to keep the Sabbath day in the Bible prior to Exodus 20. And yet it was practiced, it was believed, and it was done. Why? Divine example. Divine example. God blessed, notice in the the text there, notice the words of the text. You see verse 10 there? He blessed the Sabbath day, not the seventh day. From the time of the Reformation forward, our forefathers said that, that's, why, that's because God was going to change it. If it said he, he rested the seventh day and blessed the seventh day, well, they, they'd have a case then, maybe. But it doesn't say that. He rested the seventh day and therefore he blessed what? The Sabbath day. That was their Sabbath. Exodus 20 verse 11 says God rested on the seventh day, not that he blessed the seventh day. The fourth commandment says remember the Sabbath day. From creation week until the resurrection of Christ, the Sabbath day was the seventh day, Saturday, for us. Why do we know the first and not the seventh day is the Sabbath now? Folks, please listen to me. Jesus was resurrected on what day? Sunday, not Saturday. He appeared to his church on the first Sunday after his resurrection, not Saturday. He appeared to his church on the second Sunday after his resurrection, not Saturday. He baptized his church with the Holy Spirit on Sunday, the first day of the Feast of Pentecost, not Saturday. He commanded that the Lord's Supper be celebrated in his church on Sunday, not Saturday. He commanded his church to receive tithes and offerings on Sunday, not Saturday. He appeared to John on the island of Patmos in the book of Revelation on the Lord's Day, which was Sunday, not Saturday. Sunday is the day that Jesus comes and rests and fellowships with his church. Five times in the book of 1 Corinthians, the phrase is used. When you come together, when you come together, when you come together, when you come together, when you come together. He criticizes their improper observance of the Lord's Supper. So if the word of God is supposed to be read and preached, the Lord's Supper observed, ties brought together and taken up in the church, and we come together, come together, come together, come together, come together on Sunday, why would anyone think that the Sabbath day for Christians is Saturday? Why? What is the divine example? Remember, we don't always need a direct command. You follow the divine example. This has nothing to do with Constantine or the rise of Romanism or anything of the kind. It's the divine example. We gather on the first day of the week, on Sunday. Divine example is what we follow in the absence of direct commands. For several thousand years of Earth's history, the human race as a whole kept the Sabbath day and followed the pattern of six days of work and a seventh day of rest with no divine commands to do it. Only a divine example that that God set for them in creation week. The Sabbath, resting one whole day in seven, is only one day younger than man. Remember, what day of the week were we created on? Day six. When does the Sabbath start? The next day. That divine pattern and example, man followed with no express command from him uh, until Moses received the Sabbath commandment on Mount Sinai here in Exodus 20. Okay, is is the horse dead yet? Okay. There is no commandment to keep the Sabbath day prior to Exodus 20, yet the entire human race and the whole world did it. Why? Divine example. Why do we worship on Sunday? Divine example. When did Jesus and the apostles worship? Sunday. 
When do they take up ties? Sunday. When do they take the Lord's Supper? Sunday. When do they come together, come together, come together? Sunday. So why would we think we're supposed to do it on Saturday? There's no reason for it, folks. It's the Lord's day. It's the day Christ rose from the dead. So that's the first phrase of verse 8. Okay, let's look at the next phrase. To keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day? Next phrase, to keep it holy. Sunday being the Christian Sabbath that Jesus set by divine example in the New Testament is to be kept different, is to be kept holy or set apart from the other six days of the week by not working at your normal calling and vocation. Now, we're going to address callings and vocations that are works of necessity and works of mercy like police, like magistrates, doctors, nurses, medical professionals, and a handful of others who would need to be available for works of necessity about food and gasoline, things like that. I myself am very thankful for hospitals that are open on Sundays as we've made many trips to them uh, with kids. I'm also thankful that there are people working when some of my children were born on Sundays. Even though I told Amy we're not supposed to have them because it's the it's Sabbath day. <laughs> they weren't listening. I'm thankful for doctors who helped out with all that. But outside of works of necessity and works of mercy, we are supposed to stop working for a whole day. This day is set apart for divine worship, for the word of God, and, and the holy convocation of the people of God, the sacraments of the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. The word of God, the holy, the singing of God's praises and the holy convocation, the gathering of fellowship and holy conversations. I want to say, if your Sundays are just like Monday through Saturday, you're in sin. If they're identical to all the other days of the week, then that day clearly is not being kept holy or set apart from the other days of the week. The day is supposed to be set apart from the other six. So that's the first thing. Remember the Sabbath day that your fathers practiced for centuries up until Exodus 20, but you also keep the day holy. Keep it different from the other days of the week. Okay, point number three. You shall do all your work. This is one part that's often left out. And here again, I just want to encourage you. When all else fails, go back to the text of scripture and just go real slowly through it. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Now there's much we can elaborate on here, but God's word commands everyone to work for six days as soon as children are able-bodied they ought to be given household work to do for six days now their schooling and their education sure that's a form of work it's especially important for young men and for men in general to have a sense of calling a sense of vocation in life a job something that they are passionate about what do you like and what are you good at People always want some kind of magical way of figuring out what's God's will for my life. It's real simple. What do you like and what are you good at? Go do it. Now, there will be seasons in life that you have to do jobs that you're not particularly fond of. And I went through all that too. Consider Joseph. I'm sure his chosen vocation was not to be a slave in a house in Egypt or to run a prison. And yet he did both for the glory of God and God blessed him tremendously. Men ought to have a vision for something, a goal, something they want to do for God, for their neighbor. And that might involve ministry work, and it might be a Christ-honoring vocation. What do you like and what are you good at? God gave you those desires and abilities for a reason. Now, not all desires or talents will translate to being able to make a living to support a family. I once upon a time wanted to be in the NBA, but didn't make the high school basketball team, so that wasn't going to happen. That desire was real. It was very intense for sure. But it ran up against this thing called reality of being too short and not athletic. Reality makes some callings and vocations 
unreasonable. Okay, I'm not trying to, to shatter all your dreams in life, but if, you, if you're like me, you're not going to the NBA. One reason that marriages often struggle is a man doesn't have any sense of direction. He doesn't have any sense, sense of, of, or idea what he wants to do with his life or any sense of calling in his job, any sense of vocation. That work that we do is six-sevenths of our life. The command of God is six days, you shall labor and do your work. The Sabbath day is not the day that you shall labor and do your work. You stop doing it on that day. Like God who worked those six creation days stopped working on the seventh. We're supposed to do the same except for us. It's the Lord's day. It's it's Sunday. We stop working that whole day prior to the resurrection of Christ by divine example from Adam to Moses with no divine command. It was the seventh day. And since the resurrection of Christ, it's now the Lord's day. We stop working on that one whole day. Resting one whole day is just as clear as the command to work the other six days. Working is godly. Working is a good thing for us to do and refusing to work is a sin. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, listen, Paul wrote, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some among you who walk in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. How many condemnations are there in scripture of laziness? There are so many. Proverbs 21, 25. The desire of the lazy man kills him for his hands refuse to to labor. There's another proverb that speaks of the lazy man would not even take what he, he, or not even cook what he took in hunting. He, He has enough energy to shoot something, but he's too lazy to even prepare it for himself to eat. Proverbs 10, 9. He who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will become known. Christians ought to be the best at everything they do. If you're a Christian, you should be the best employee that there is. I've told you stories about my friend, my friend Rich, that I knew when I was in college, and he would do a summer missions project every, every year, and he was the cashier at Kentucky Fried Chicken. And that Kentucky Fried Chicken broke sales records every year he was there. Never in the history of the world has the world seen a man more excited to sell fried chicken. And that place shined like the top of the Chrysler building. When he wasn't up there happy to give people buckets of chicken and liver gizzard dinners or whatever else they sell there, he was shining stuff and sweeping stuff and witnessing to people, and he was just on fire to sell chicken. That's what we should be like. That's what Joseph was like when he was a slave. Even if you have a mundane job, be awesome at it. Be on time. Be energetic. Be excited. Work hard. We should be the best at everything. Working's not optional for any able-bodied person. The thing is, there's no such thing biblically as retirement. Most Christian retirees I know actually end up even more busy in their retirement because of their God-given desire to be productive and to work for six days in order to glorify God. That doesn't end when your regular vocation ends. When you retire and you finally got enough money, it's not like, now I can just sit back and do nothing. No, 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 you gotta keep working. You gotta keep doing stuff. You gotta have projects. You gotta have things you're doing for God. If anyone needs financial assistance or a a handout of some kind, if they're able-bodied, the first question they need to be asked is, are you working? Paul said, if you're not, you don't work, you don't eat. God commands, six days do your work. Now look at verse 10. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, 
You nor your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. Okay, stop there. The seventh day was the day that God blessed as their Sabbath day, their day of rest, which changed by divine example after the resurrection of Christ from Saturday to Sunday. By divine example, that's what we do. While we are all required by all of God's commandments to promote that they all be kept, we should promote that, that the prohibition against adultery be kept. We should promote that not coveting be kept. We should promote that not murdering be kept and honoring father and mother. No idolatry. We should promote all of that. But the Sabbath is a little different, isn't it? You notice what it says? Not only am I supposed to keep it, but I'm also charged to do what? To make sure everyone in my house does too. Look at the commandment again. You see what God says here? The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son. Or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. There's a special emphasis on the head of the household making sure that everyone in his house keeps the Sabbath day. And the wording of the commandment itself requires that heads of households do this. Now listen, if you have unbelievers in your family or unbelievers over to your house on Sunday, do you still have to keep that day holy and set apart? You bet. What if it really bothers and offends them? Who cares? Also, remember how I said some people try to hold to the notion, oh, I don't believe anything unless it's explicitly commanded or practiced in the Bible. Question, does your wife have to keep the Sabbath day holy? Look at the passage again. Look at verse 10. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male, your female servants... Your cattle, your sojourner who stays with you. Who's missing from that? Your wife. Cool. Wives don't have to keep the Sabbath. Cool. You guys get to work. Is that true? Of course not. Male and female children are mentioned. Male and female servants. Where's the wife? She's not mentioned there. Well, since I don't accept anything that's not explicitly in the Bible, my wife gets to work all day on Sunday. Why is that not true? Because there's covenantal representation. The head of the house represents his whole family. There's the one flesh union in marriage. Okay, the wife is just as much a part of the household as everyone else in it. It is implied. But she's not mentioned explicitly. She's represented by the head of the household though. Obviously she's implicitly included. She's also made in God's image. She's just as much a disciple and follower of Christ as anyone else is. She's also to, to follow that pattern. Work for six days and she gets a whole day of rest like everybody else. So heads of households must require that everyone in that household keep the Sabbath day. If you live under that roof, you attend church, plain and simple. And you must work, plain and simple. Six days, do your work. The seventh day, you rest. And you're supposed to make sure everyone under your roof does that. Work six days, rest the seventh. Work six days, rest the seventh. I want to tell you something. Had I refused to go to church when I was 15 or 16 years old, I have no doubt whatsoever I would have been sleeping on the sidewalk. My father would have said, really? Get your stuff and get out. And he would have slept like a baby, I assure you. You know why he would have done that? My father loved me. And my father loved God more than me. The larger catechism, question 118. Why is the charge of keeping the Sabbath more especially directed to governors of families and other superiors? Listen to this. 
The charge of keeping the Sabbath is more specially directed to governors of families and other superiors because they are bound not only to keep it themselves, but to see that it is observed by all those that are under their charge and because they are prone oft times to hinder them by employments of their own. God is really into this household thing. He's really into this household principle. Covenant children, go to church. Covenant children, go to church with you always as long as they're under your roof. Civil magistrates also ought to enact laws that promote, promote Sabbath keeping. Remember the blue laws? Anyone here old enough to remember those? Blue laws? <laughs> the, the gray heads and heads that look like mine are nodding. We, rem- we remember that. The younger generation ha- doesn't know anything about that because your generation doesn't care at all about the Sabbath day. Remember this scene from the governor of Jerusalem? Remember Nehemiah, our friend Nehemiah? We just read his book. People started ignoring the Sabbath. He was the governor. Here's what he did. Nehemiah 13, 15. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre were there also, see, they were Gentiles, who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you're doing by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And you know what? No one in Judah thought to think, what a legalist. Not one of them said that. They knew he was right. It goes on. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem as it began to be before dark, before the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they must not be open until after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so, so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. So what they do? They camped out right outside the gate. Verse 21 of Nehemiah 13, Then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend time, spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. And he wasn't talking about to pray. <laughs> From that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. Think about that. Think about that. Nehemiah is threatening to physically remove them if they come back after he warns them. He gives them a warning. He does sit down and talk to them. Guys, you can't do this. Our fathers did this. That's why we got in all this trouble. We've got to keep the Sabbath day. This is the very reason that this place was destroyed. Remember all that? We can't do this. And he showed them patience. But once or twice, he did that. That's the theology of patience and long-suffering. You warn people once or twice, and then you take action. Nehemiah was gracious, but then he gave him an ultimatum. You guys do this again. I'm going to lay hands on you. I am going to remove you from this area. Why why was he so zealous about that? He's the governor. And he knows as the governor, he's supposed to promote the Sabbath day being respected and honored. So in our context, context here, dad, husband, you're the man on this front. You will be held accountable by God to make sure your wife, your son, your daughter, etc. Keep the Sabbath day holy. If leaders, magistrates, and heads of households do not have a passion to keep the Sabbath day holy, their inferiors and the people who look up to them, their kids, younger people, will quickly discard it altogether. As it goes with the leaders in the church, 
so it goes with the, with the rest of the church. As it goes with the father of the house, so it goes with the kids in the house. We already have the encroachments of entertainment, sports. There was a movie that came out called Concussion about the NFL concussion crisis. And one of the actors in the movie said, quote, the NFL owns a day of the week, the same day the church used to own. Now it's ours. I hope all of us can beg to differ. No, you don't own that day. God still does. You've got the encroachment of sports. You've got the encroachment of business, restaurants, commerce, media, a hundred other things trying to make our collective culture discard the Sabbath and treat it like it's any other day of the week and ours to do with whatever we want. And I want to say, if men, if leaders in homes, leaders in countries, leaders in marriages, listen to me, please, older children with younger siblings that look up to them, If the ones that God has put in places of leadership will not lead, we are doomed. You know what's sadder still is when the people who are being looked to to lead don't even realize that people are looking to them to lead. The older children in homes don't realize how much their attitudes, their words, their actions are actively, whether they like it or not, discipling their younger siblings. So I want to say to the older kids, are you worth following? Is your attitude towards the holy day of God something you want them to imitate? You think your younger siblings aren't watching everything you do and the way you do it? Think again. Fathers, husbands, single young men who no longer live at home. Do you think your attitude toward the Sabbath and keeping it affects only you? To quote a minister who lives across town, one of my, one of my heroes, he started preaching when I was six years old. Remember at a presbytery meeting, he said, quote, then you need to get your head out of the sand, end quote. Listen to your creator. Look at verse 10b again. In it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. You keep the Sabbath and you make sure that your household, including your wife, does too. This commandment is just as binding as the prohibition against murder. It's just as binding as the prohibition against stealing, against adultery, against idolatry. This is one of the Ten Commandments. And it's every bit as binding upon us now as it was then. Look at verse 11. Verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Sabbath day is a creation ordinance. It's something that God instituted in his own works of creation and then resting. Genesis chapter 1. In six days, God made everything and then rested one whole day. And prior to Christ's resurrection, the, that, that day of rest was the seventh day or Saturday for them. But for us, since the resurrection of Christ, it's now the Lord's day. It's Sunday, the first day of the week. And I want you to notice again, you see the last part of the verse. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, not that he blessed the seventh day. I want to just encourage you to think about something. Your church has a fellowship meal on the first Sunday of each month to facilitate fellowship and godly conversation in order to help keep the Sabbath day. Please stay and talk for a long time with people. It's wonderful. on, On all the other Sundays, we have an evening worship service to worship God because he deserves that from us first and foremost, but also to help the congregation keep the Sabbath day. We know there's a million other things that people want to try to do. There's a million things pulling on you to go do something else. But evening worship is to bookend the Sabbath. 
and also to facilitate keeping the whole day. Notice it's the Sabbath day, not the Sabbath hour or the Sabbath morning. The Sabbath day, one whole day in seven. I want to encourage you all, stay for those fellowship meals and be with God's people. Sit with people you don't know and talk to them. And I want to encourage all of you, come to your church's evening worship services, unless you're providentially hindered by sickness or something like that. Sixthly and finally, I've titled this last point, the most neglected and forgotten commandment, why the Sabbath is so important. I want to tell you all this. It is a sad fact that the most outspoken enemies of Christianity, historically, often understand the importance of the Sabbath day a lot more than Christians themselves. Our enemies understand this more than we do. The quotation is often given from the French God-hater Voltaire, who, by the way, Voltaire enjoyed cross-dressing. Uh, he said black people did not share the humanity of white Europeans. He referred to Jesus in his writings as, quote, that scoundrel, end quote, and called Christianity that infamous thing, he understood the importance of keeping the Sabbath better than most professing Christians I know. He said this, quote, If you would destroy Christianity, you must first kill the Sabbath. The atheist, enlightenment-driven French Revolution that began in 1789, you know what it succeeded in doing? It did kill Christianity in France. One of the many ways they did was their purposeful, calculated changes to the Christian calendar. Do y'all know about this? You should look this up. Look up the French Revolutionary Calendar. They changed the names of all the months. And they also changed every month to have not seven-day weeks, but to have three 10-day weeks. Every month had three 10-day weeks. What was the purpose of that? So nobody would know when it was Sunday. And it worked. More importantly, why did Voltaire and all of the unbelieving atheistic leaders of revolutionary France think this? Why did they think to get rid of this thing called Christianity, we've got to get rid of the Sabbath? Here's why. Please listen closely to me. Because as long as the Christian people continue to have weekly holy convocations, a gathering and meeting together for worship, for preaching, for teaching, for reading scripture, for prayer, for sacraments, that holy convocation, as God calls it five times in Leviticus 23, as long as they keep doing that, God's people will be strong. As long as they do that, God's people will be vigorous and their convictions will remain in the heart of our land. As long as they keep getting together on Sundays, we're never going to be rid of them. Do you think it's not a big deal if you're absent from church on the Lord's Day? That's one thing my parents, I, I, I bless God for my father. He would not look. I could be bleeding out my eyeballs and he'd make me go to church. I tried. Oh, I feel bad. I feel bad. And I won't tell you what he said. He was a Vietnam veteran. But it was get up and go to church or things aren't going to go well for you, son. Praise God for men like that. He would not let me stay home. And my mother would smack me every time I fell asleep. And I said, I've never had to see a therapist either. Very thankful for that. I'm thankful they did that. There's no nonsense. You're going to keep the Sabbath day and we're going to make you do it. You think it's a big deal to miss church? It's a huge deal. That was the goal of the social engineers of the French Revolution. They wanted everybody to stay home. Get them to stop meeting on Sunday. Christianity and all of its righteousness and goodness and all this stuff about freedom, it's all going to die. But you know, today we don't even need social engineers. People just don't come. Neglect of the Sabbath day is probably the most common sin that's tolerated among professing Christians in America today. Failure to be prayed up and ready to worship the Lord Jesus and to be on time is a sin against God. 
Worship is the chief work of the Christian church. It is the purpose for which Jesus redeemed us. Remember what he said to the Samaritan woman at the well? He told her, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Why do we do missions? Why do we evangelize people? Because God deserves more worship. Less blasphemy and more worship from devoted, blood-purchased sheep. And people might say, well, I worship God in my own way on Sundays in a fishing boat, rejoicing in God's creation or other su- some unbiblical nonsense. And someone might say, as people have said to me, isn't worship all of life? In one sense, yes. But Leviticus 23, 1 through 3, the seventh day for us, the first day is our holy convocation. It's a divinely commanded gathering. 1 Corinthians, Paul uses that phrase, when you come together, when you come together, when you come together. Five distinct times he says that. That is our, the New Testament Christian church's Sabbath day. Our holy convocation, our holy gathering for worship, celebration of the Lord's Supper, singing, reading scripture, praying and hearing the word preached. And one of my favorite Christian singers when I was first converted was Keith Green. And Keith Green wrote a song called Asleep in the Light. And one of the stanzas of that song goes, the world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave and you, you can't even get out of bed. How do you kill Christianity? Kill the Sabbath. I want to ask y'all, how's our culture doing with that? Last 150 years or so. Pretty thorough, huh? Create a generation of selfish whatever, guys. It's been a while since I've talked about the whatever guy. Remember him? You know, some Christian wife gets fire in her, in her heart. We need to do family worship every day. We need to read the Bible to our kids every day. And he says, whatever. We need to be more deliberate about following Christ. Well, Whatever. Create a generation of that. Men who will not lead. Men who will not make sure their family is ready and comes to church every Sunday. Nurse a generation of men without chests, as one English Christian called them long ago, who think that church life and Bible reading and church membership and family worship and Sabbath keeping are a matter of Christian liberty that we can take or leave. I actually had a young man try that on me. I said, why weren't you at church Sunday? He said, I'm just exercising my Christian liberty. You're not free to sin. The Sabbath day is so central, so basic, so essential to the Christian life and discipleship in this age. It makes perfect sense to me that the concerted attacks of the hosts of hell are almost always constantly aiming at destroying it. Think about it. If Satan kills the Sabbath day, people will not come within earshot of the preached word of God, within the earshot of the preached gospel, by which alone men can be saved. If Satan kills the Sabbath, we isolate ourselves into these drywall enclosures and we can't love and we can't stir one another to love and good deeds. If Satan kills the Sabbath day, we can't rebuke and correct one another from God's word. We can't weep together. We can't sympathize with each other. We can't rejoice together. If Satan makes it so the Sabbath day goes extinct, the wicked will prowl on every side and the perverted will strut in the streets of this nation as it gets ever more and more defiant of God. When the Sabbath day is neglected, when attendance starts to fizzle out, when people 
who do come are unprepared or they're exhausted because they didn't go to bed at, at a decent hour, Christianity will begin its decline into non-existence. One-fifth of American churchgoers have not come back to church after COVID-19. A fifth have said, eh, forget it. We're done. There are times I wonder if God's going to have to raise up 10,000 Korean missionaries and send them to America to teach us how to be Christians again. God redeems us from hell, justifies us by the blood of Christ, forgives us of all of our sins, and dwells us by his Holy Spirit, and subdues our hearts by making them new so that we can take our place among the worshiping community of God, the Holy Convocation. The first day of the week, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, the Lord's Day Christian Sabbath is our sacred blood-bought, holy convocation. And God-haters and anti-Christians know this simple truth. If there's no holy convocation, there will be no strong Christians to deal with. If they don't go to church anymore, they will die. They'll all cease to exist. They won't be fed from the bread of life, and they'll all go away and quit bugging us. When Christians turn their backs on God by walking away from the Sabbath, they also turn their backs on each other, on one another. If Christians isolate themselves, they don't stir each other up to love and good works. They can't weep together, rejoice together, encourage one another, pray for each other. That's the goal of Christ's enemies. They, they hate biblical righteousness. Righteousness dies when the worship of God dies. The Sabbath is our weekly holy convocation. That word convocation, that Hebrew word mikrah, means a calling together or assembly. It's a holy calling together or assembly. It's where we, as redeemed people, it's where we call upon God together with our covenant children. We call upon God, worship him, sing his praises, partake of his ordinances, hear from his word are convicted and grow and are corrected from God's word, are encouraged by the promises of salvation and promises of God's love. We participate in the sacraments. We enjoy our communion and one another's gifts. And I want to encourage you all, unless we're providentially hindered, we ought, we ought to be here for Sabbath day worship services. And I want to tell you, all the forces of hell want you to think otherwise. If we don't come to church, if, if the body of Christ will only be partially there it's like it's like looking out at a mangled mess what, what did paul say about every local church god has placed the members first corinthians 12 18 god has set the members each one of them in the body as he pleased when we come to church to see each other we don't want to see a body with a missing eye and a missing foot and a missing hand and a, a missing arm a missing rib a missing this and missing that the whole body needs to be there and every part's important just because you, you're not up front or you're not more visible doesn't mean that you're not important. Paul even says in that great chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, the, the less presentable parts have even more glory and honor. You know, I wonder, I, on the day of judgment, the people that will be getting the, the mightiest and greatest rewards, they'll be people you had no idea what they were doing. You had no idea all the stuff that they did in their church, all the ways they prayed for people. I don't think it's going to be people we probably knew. God saves individuals. He brings whole families into the membership of the church, but he commands a holy convocation, all of his people on the Christian Sabbath day to worship him in spirit and truth, to do those four great things, those four primary things, prayer, reading, preaching, and hearing scripture, singing, sacraments. That's what he calls us to do. We were redeemed from hell 
to be part of the loving, worshiping convocation, the assembly, the gathering of the Christian church. There's no such thing as a Christian who's not a member of a church. There's no such thing as a worshiper who does not worship on the Christian Sabbath or who does it apart from the holy convocation of that church in which they're a member. Now, in closing, every time I study this commandment, every time I look at it, to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, I always think there are ways that you can do better. There, there are things that I need to change. There's things I need to do better. There's ways I need to encourage and promote Sabbath keeping in my house better. But basic to Sabbath keeping, the most basic thing is you come to the holy convocation to worship God in your church where you're a member. And you come on time. And you come well rested and prayed up and ready to sing and to listen and to participate. That's basic and simple. Attend and be a passionate, active worshiper of God. Remember, worship is a verb. The worshipers, the Christians, are the subjects of that verb. They do the actions of that verb, worship. God is the object of worship. He's the audience of our worship. We worship God through Christ and dwelt by his spirit. And the last word to you this morning. Thankfully. I am very thankful when Jesus died, he bore the guilt of all of his people's sins, including their Sabbath breaking. But in thankfulness to God for his laying down of his life for us, we ought to evaluate how well do we keep the Sabbath day holy because our Lord deserves that we obey him in that way and that we express our gratitude to him for having saved us by keeping his holy day holy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us the gift of a Sabbath day of rest. And we pray you would forgive us for the ways that we don't keep this day set apart and holy. And we pray you would help us to be more passionate as worshipers, to love one another, to know that church life is difficult at times and there's sin that goes on and there's difficulties and there's trials, but we need to rejoice together, to weep together, to worship together. We pray you would help us to value that because you've commanded it of us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.